0: Friends, here are the good news of the gospel. The Apostle Paul reminds us while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. Someone might actually dare to die, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more surely than now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God against sin. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Our sin has been wiped away. The Lord is our salvation. In Jesus Christ, we have been made new. Amen. Our scripture, again today, comes from John's gospel. It's the second half of last week's passage from John chapter 11, and uh, in it, uh, Mary and martha both have had an encounter with jesus and they have both told him the same thing and that is on a very positive note if you had been here this would not have happened well they got it half right and that is lord you could do anything you could do absolutely anything and jesus shows us that in a profound way that goes beyond even the anything that they had imagined as we look at this part of the encounter that Jesus had really with the whole world and with us. Listen to John chapter 11 verses 28 through 44. Hear the word of God. Backing up just a verse, Martha says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the the son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, verse 28 tells us, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. I want you to think about that for a second. That's what Jesus is doing for you and me. Into this situation, he's calling for us. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Many of you memorize that simply as Jesus wept. But it was, it's the perfect tense. It's a past action with continuous effect. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, already there is a stench, because he's been in there. Four days. Remember, four days the Jews believed, absolutely no hope, gone forever. When Jesus had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God cause us to realize that he said the same about us. Unbind them and let them go. Let's pray. Father, this powerful word is yours and yours alone. It comes to us in the power of your Holy Spirit and we praise you for that. And we ask that it would touch our hearts and minds now and that The words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, and you are our salvation. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Well, last week, as we looked at the first part of this event, we considered how Jesus dealt with Martha's reaction to... Lazarus' death and Jesus' statement when he said to Martha, I am, I am that I am the resurrection and the life. Now this week we look at Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death himself and what that means for us today. First he sees Mary, or Martha, then Mary. Now he personally is dealing with his loss because he was friends with Lazarus. He was human and yet fully God And as we do this, we need to realize something. And that is that Jesus did not raise Mary and Martha, or excuse me, Jesus did not raise Lazarus to make Mary and Martha happy. He did not do this as a, okay, everything's happily ever after. If that were so, if if that were so, Jesus would have said, this isn't going to happen again. He raised Lazarus, but he did not say this isn't going to happen again. You get that? What was, it, it was going to happen again. See, Mary and Martha are the younger sisters of Lazarus. They're very likely going to outlive Lazarus again. There's irony, right? They're going to see Lazarus die again. Talk about irony. What about this time, Jesus? What do we do now? No, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, not to assuage Mary and Martha or even his own tears, but he did so in John Calvin's powerful words, as John Stott points out, because his own soul, Jesus' own soul, is held by rage. He's fired up. He walks toward the tomb as a champion, Calvin says. He walks toward the tomb as a champion who is prepared for conflict. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. It's a battle with the ultimate enemy. What's the ultimate enemy? Death. And Jesus is fired up. And he walks toward that tomb, Calvin says, to pronounce... This verdict, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. That enemy is death. And that is an enemy that Jesus has come to slay. And not just on some temporary physical level. No, as we enter this new year, we need to consider who it is we are dealing with in Jesus of Nazareth. He is not some faith healer, so to speak, that fixes the temporary. Jesus is not, in C.S. Lewis's words, a tame lion. No, he's the great lion of Judah. He's the, the Messiah. He's the one that's been prophesied who will make all things new. And instead of seeing him as someone who can fix the temporary, we see him here unveiled. The covers are pulled back in terms of what his mission is. And his mission is to overcome our greatest enemy. He's a great vanquisher, the ultimate vanquisher. Death itself is being defeated, and not the termination of physical life. That's not enough. We need more than that. He's come to overcome what we fear most. What Jesus has come to defeat in his own words, as he says in another place in the Gospels, is not that enemy that can take our bodies, but rather the the enemy that can take our souls. We need to be afraid of the one who can end our relationship with God permanently. That is, Jesus has come to defeat that which would seek to end any hope of restored relationship with God, because that would be our greatest enemy. When we know that that enemy has been defeated forever, then we truly have hope that nothing in this life, nothing that will ever happen to us can hold us back. All of that will be overcome. And with that power, we can walk out. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. With that assurance that Jesus has overcome our greatest enemy, the termination of relationship with himself, with the God of the universe, we can walk out of whatever that tomb of disappointment might be with our heads and our hearts held high, saying to the world and everything about it, bring it on. Bring it on, whatever it is not in some sort of arrogant way, but rather with a way that says, I'm ready. Because the reality is, we will still know sorrow. Some of you have been walking with Jesus your whole life, and you know there's still sorrow. There's still disappointment. You pray, but there's still pain. The power of the resurrection says that pain is not the ultimate enemy. Jesus felt sorrow. He's weeping. It breaks his heart. But because the God of the universe, He has intervened, nothing is going to break our souls because we belong to the King. Do you know that? You're adopted, you're you're the King's kid, and you belong to Him. So as we look at this preview to the cross, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing, this is what I'm going to do. When we look at this preview to the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves and consider three most essential questions, very briefly this morning. Three things that we've got to take with us today. First of all, how was Lazarus changed by this? First question, how was Lazarus changed? by this. You know, it's really interesting. We don't have any record, any written record of Lazarus' reaction or account of his experience. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I mean, we have scads of books quite often recently in which people tell about their death and coming back. By the way, none of those people died. All those books, they didn't die. That was not a resurrection. I don't know what happened, but it wasn't a death. No one has ever written a book from Forest Lawn, by the way. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. My brother stinketh. He's in the ground. No one has ever peeled back six feet of dirt. No one has ever put those ashes back together. But we Don't have an account of what happened to Lazarus, who really did die. But one thing we know: he was dead. He was dead. He was not asleep. Mary got it right when Jesus told her to empty the tomb, or actually, it was Martha. Lord, don't ask us to do this. Already there's a stench. He stinks. He was gone. And the reality is, death stinks. Death stinks, disappointment stinks, heartbreak stinks, and that was Jesus' whole point. Whatever Lazarus experienced, Lazarus knew, I'm dead, I'm dead, but I'm in the Father's arms. It was four days, it was not four minutes or four hours. People who have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus and are here to tell about it today have not been dead for minutes or hours. Rather, people who have experienced the resurrection power and are experiencing past action with continuous effect, who are experiencing that resurrection power have come out of years and years of death, years and years of emptiness, years and years of brokenness, When Lazarus came out of the tomb, he knew that physically he never had anything or spiritually to worry about again because his spiritual enemy had been overcome. I know what death is about, and it's not the physical death I need to be afraid of. It's being separate from God, and in his death and then his resurrection, Lazarus knew what we can know. And that is, there is no nothing, Romans 8, 38, and 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all of creation. Lazarus knew that. Paul may have written it down. Lazarus lived it. Jesus had not just raised him to die again but had raised him so that whatever came, Lazarus knew that, as John would write in his epistle, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Lazarus was raised to be able to say, I know that my Redeemer liveth, because I am in him. And so were those who knew him. So were those who knew Lazarus. Think about it. How were those who... Who were there that day, Maria and Martha and the Jews? There was quite a, a, a cadre of people. How were they changed? What were their lives like? Well, we do have a little bit of a, an evidence of that. How God's Holy Spirit used this event to bring this home to them? What, what needed most, what they needed most, they realized was not to have the events of this world changed all the time. I see people acting like, "Oh my gosh. If you just caught that one pass. If you just got that last hitter out. If if that if the if the other guy had just won the election, or the other gal or whoever. If this bill had just been passed, if the market had just crested a little bit differently. That's not our hope. And it was in the resurrection of Lazarus that they knew that. Oh. We've been looking at the wrong stuff. We've been looking for hope in the wrong place. What they needed and they realized through Lazarus' resurrection it's something we can realize and that is Jesus reached into their hearts to show them that in him the resurrection promise begins now and it begins in the face of whatever we're facing so that the worldly things, are t- the temporary things don't matter because what really matters is what would separate us from God's presence and nothing can do that. That's what the resurrection's about. So, here's the third question. How are we changed today, yesterday, tomorrow, this coming Wednesday, by this event? See, this was not reincarnation. This was not reincarnation. There's no hope in that. If I come back as a parakeet, I'm gonna be really ticked. (laughs) But the good news of the gospel is I'm not coming back. And a lot of people are grateful for that, but that's (laughs) (laughs) this was resurrection. This was resurrection. Lazarus came back as the same man, but with an awareness that made all things new. An An awareness of eternity that made anything he faced caused him to say with the Apostle Paul, I consider the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. Again, Paul wrote it down. Lazarus lived it. Hey, folks, I know this seems bad. I know this seems really tough. Maybe this is something you really had a lot of hope in. That's not our hope. This is nothing compared to what's going to be revealed to us. This event can cause us to say the same thing. The hope of Lazarus' return was not that he came back from the dead, you know, like, phew, That was a close one. I almost died. We've all been there, right? Oh? No, this was more than that. It was that in his return he knew what mattered most, and he also knew what didn't. How many times have we got all worked up? Oh, it's the end of the world. My team lost. Whatever. Death has no power over me anymore. Not only am I not afraid of physical death, but more importantly, I know my Redeemer lives and I belong to him and nothing's going to take that away from me. Do you know that? It's a gift from God. It's not going to be taken away. You can't undo that. If you know that Jesus Christ loves you and your hope is in him, Nothing's gonna take that away. And if that's true, nothing is going to separate us. You know, as I said, we never hear another thing about this man, Lazarus, except there was a party the next week. He he attended his own funeral reception, so to speak. (laughs) But I would would love to have heard more about his life after this. What happened in the, the next few, however, years? But we do have a peek at this, and we'll look at this in days to come. But we we see this when Mary at that party anoints Lazarus or anoints Jesus at Lazarus' party with a year's worth of ointment. She spends a year's salary to anoint Jesus. And Judas and some of the others get all worked up about this, but you know what? She had been changed. She had been changed and she knew it and she knew that letting go of anything for the glory of God is not a waste. It's a statement of praise. Lord, I I'm, I'm letting go all my burden, all my sorrow, all the things I get worked up about. My agenda as a, a statement of anointing you. You're the king of my life now, not this stuff, not this thing, not my my idea. And you know who was there when that happened? You know who was there? as she spent a year's salary anointing Jesus. You know who was there at the party? guest of honor. And the guest of honor wasn't Jesus. guest of honor was Lazarus. But Lazarus knew that Jesus was the guest of honor, and I'm sure he smiled. I'm sure he smiled and nodded his head, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Let it all go. Let it all go. You see, entering a new year and a new life, means accepting that we have truly been called out of the old life by Jesus Christ. And let me, sh- let me conclude with this story that I think you can all relate to. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, tells it on his wife. But you know something? His wife, Kathy, had an experience that you've all had. So listen to this. He said, when, when my wife was growing up, every summer her family went to spend two weeks at a small p- compound of cottages on Lake Erie. And now the cottages, he says, are gone. In fact, part of the beach—that part of the beach—is even gone. So even the even the setting is no longer there. But whenever she visits that childhood vacation spot, Kathy weeps because she knows that beach is irretrievable. It's gone. That sense of irretrievability is like a death. And the older we get, the more we realize that certain losses are irretrievable. The older we get, we realize it's not going to come back. I'm not going to get it back. They're gone. And that can suck the joy out of our lives. Have you ever looked around and seen how little joy there is in our own lives as well as in the world? Why? Because we're, we're so hung up on the temporary Thinking, it's never going to be like that again. But Timothy Keller writes, then there's the, but here's where the the resurrection of Jesus offers that which nothing else in the world can offer. Even religions that promise a kind of spiritual future or spiritual bliss only offer consolation for what you've lost. You know the word consolation? Consolation prize. That's what you get for second or last. That's not what the gospel promises. It's not just consolation. The resurrection of Christ promises the restoration of what we've lost beyond what we imagine. You don't just get your body back, you get the body back you've always wanted and and not just looking like whoever. You don't just get your life back, you get the life you've always needed. Not the life you've always wanted, like somebody's written about, but rather the life you've always needed, and that is a life of intimate, sustaining relationship with the God of the universe in Jesus Christ. He says, "An example, as an example, I know people who are living faithfully for Christ by saying, I'm not going to marry someone unless that person can be a spiritual partner to me. He says, there are single people who are following Christ who may never get married. It might be tempting for them to say, I'll never know the joy of marriage. I've lost that joy, and it's gone forever. Or others may be following Christ by staying in a difficult marriage. But Jesus Christ is walking proof that we will miss nothing, no matter what happens or doesn't happen. Nothing. It's all coming in the future, and that future is as certain as this afternoon. It's not just pie in the sky, by and by. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope today, nothing. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. There is no religion, no philosophy, no human being who can offer that kind of future. And as Christians, our hope of the future is based on the historical fact Of the resurrection that cross is empty you know why the God of the universe came back for you and me so if you're a Christian let me ask you this Keller points out why wouldn't you want that why wouldn't you want that which he has to offer even if you don't like some of the challenges of the Christian life. Why wouldn't you want that hope of restoration where nothing is missing? You're not being honest with yourself if you don't want that. I agree with him. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us to look at the resurrection of Lazarus and ultimately of Jesus, more to the point, in how we live? Does it affect our looking at life? At what has happened? What is or what hasn't happened, or what will happen, and cause us to say, it's all okay. It's okay. What, what happened, it's okay. What didn't happen, it's okay. It's more than okay. What's going to happen is more than okay, because the ultimate thing that is going to happen is we are going to experience restored relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's real. So today, my friends, today, Jesus is calling you and me out of our old lives, out of our old way of looking at things, out of thinking that this is all there is. Thinking that what has happened is what defines us because it has not. What defines us is that on our behalf and because he loves us more than life itself, we have a new life every day. Yes, there's sorrow. Yes, there's mystery. But sorrow does not define us when our lives belong to Jesus Christ. And today I want to challenge us to let Jesus be the one who defines us, every one of us, and us, our congregation, as individuals, as families, to know that we have come out of the tomb with Lazarus and we are unbound. Set him free. Set her free. Set them free. That's what Jesus is saying. I want to challenge us with that. Because since we have, whatever we face is filtered through the conquering voice of Jesus. Come out. Lazarus, come out. His love is what empowers and defines and sends us into a world that is still in the tomb. Thinking we have to save ourselves. But we don't. He's done it all. May our lives unbound by the grace of God, who has come to set us free, be evidence to someone today that they too can know a new life in a new year. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we've got to stand on this and nothing less. For it is why you came, and we praise you for that. Give us that wisdom, that courage, that excitement, that joy that nothing can take away. For your sake, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let flesh retire. Isn't that a great phrase? Let flesh retire. Let me stop relying on this life and live into the life you have for me. Because, my friends, no matter what happens in this short life, We belong to the God of the universe. And because we do, because he's risen and defeated death, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do. Through us, where we are, may we believe it. And therefore, go joyfully, confidently, courageously in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.